Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, December 8th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, there are a lot of things I don't know much about. I know almost nothing about quantum physics. And I don't know anything about golf either. So, you know two things that you will not hear me pontificating about? Quantum physics and golf. You remember the commercials a few years back? Stay in your lane, bro. It's common sense, right? Most people know. They probably shouldn't try to argue about things that they don't know anything about. But I tell you what, common sense goes right out the window when it comes to economics. People are constantly flapping their yaps about economics when they clearly don't know anything about economics. I love a quote by Murray Rothbard, who was, in fact, an economist. He said, it is no crime to be ignorant of economics, which is, after all, a specialized discipline and one that most people consider to be a dismal science. But it is totally irresponsible to have a loud and vociferous opinion on economic subjects while remaining in this state of ignorance. But I think the problem is a lot of people don't realize they're ignorant. A lot of people fancy themselves economic experts because, I guess because they watch the news. I don't even know why they think they're uh, economic experts. But when you really boil it down, a lot of the economic arguments that you hear out there are really nothing more than emotional vomit. It's not fair, or rich people are greedy. You know, this counts as solid economic reasoning for a lot of people. And and again, for so many, it's just pure emotion. You know, they're struggling. Uh, they see that some people aren't struggling. So, therefore, the government needs to fix it because economics... No, this this is all just ignorance. So, I agree with Murray Rothbard. No crime being ignorant about economics. Most people are. But don't be loud about it if you don't know anything about it. Now, here's the thing. People in power, they play on this ignorance and this emotional bent when it comes to economic subjects. They play on it for their own benefit. Your president did exactly that last week with a couple of wing-dinger comments that he made. And I'm going to dissect those comments today and teach a little economics along the way. So if you stick with me through the end of the show, you will be less economic ignorant or economically ignorant than you were at the beginning. Not saying that you are necessarily economically ignorant. You're probably not because you're listening to this show. But I don't know, maybe this would be a great show to pass along to your friends so that they can learn a little economics. Uh, They might be offended when I call uh, Joe Biden a potato, but, you know, it is what it is, right? Anyway, before we get into all of that, let's do talk about the new record for the price of gold. Gold blew through $2,100 and set a record high of $2,135 on Sunday night. And then on Monday, it rapidly sold off. But gold still held above $2,000 once the sell-off was all said and done. And I think that's significant. 
I mean, think about this. Gold is the most important monetary metal, right? It just hit an all-time high in U.S. dollars. So yeah, that's significant, right? Peter Schiff said something the other day um, on his podcast that I thought was interesting in relation to gold. He talked about, he he was developing an analogy, and he said that gold was like a canary in the coal mine when it comes to the fiat system. So when gold starts to go up, it's kind of like the canary keeling over and dying and saying, hey, you've got problems in your fiat system. I think there's some truth to that. I think that's an interesting thing to explore. I'll link in the show notes page to uh, the uh, podcast where Peter talked about that. But um, So anyway, yeah, I think it's significant that um, we had this record. So what really drove the rally? Well, I talked about this a little bit last week uh, because we saw gold really knocking on that two thousand dollar level and 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 kind of hanging out above that. So, you know, we we could kind of tell a breakout was coming, and the reason is everybody is convinced that the Fed has finished hiking rates and that it's about to turn to rate cuts, uh, and and there's thinking as early as the second quarter of next year uh, that we could start seeing the Fed slashing interest rates. Now, whether this actually happens or not is irrelevant, right? The, the market isn't trading on actualities. It's trading on perception, what it thinks is going to happen. And so what is relevant is what the markets actually think and perceive, and they think the easy money gravy train is about to get back on the tracks. Now, Don't forget what this actually means, right? It means everybody thinks the Fed won the inflation fight, so it can now go back to making inflation. And I've talked about this before. Any victory over inflation is really defeat because they just want the victory so they can go back to creating the monetary inflation that caused prices to rise in the first place. And we're going to get a little bit into that distinction and and the definitions of inflation here in a minute when we get into Biden's um, comments. So... um, But just suffice to say that the victory means we're going back to expanding the money supply, which means inflation uh, is not dead at all. Uh, It might be on life support right now, but as soon as they pivot, we're going right back to creating more inflation. So, um, you know, if you're for inflation, that's good news, right? Um. So, dollar weakness uh, was also a factor. It provided some tailwinds for gold. Um, And and I think we're going to continue again to see this dollar weakness because the Fed is about to go back to creating more dollars. Now, you know, I I don't think they're about to start quantitative easing, although as soon as the economy breaks or the financial system breaks, they'll definitely go back to the, um, the, the printing presses and QE. But even lowering interest rates is monetary expansion. When interest rates are lower, there's more demand for credit, there's more borrowing, and that means with our fractional reserve banking system, more money basically being created out of thin air. So we're heading for more dollar weakness down the road, I think. 
Now, interestingly, we've actually seen some softness come back into the bond market, which means yields have gone back up a little bit. And this would typically be a problem for gold, but it really hasn't been. The markets clearly think, as they project ahead, that interest rates are about to go down. So whatever movements you're seeing in the bond market today aren't impacting gold in the same way that they were maybe three or four months ago. Uh, they're, they're, they're ignoring the current moves, and they're just anticipating Fed rate cuts. That means interest rates will be coming down. Um, and, and, of course, why are we seeing uh, more softness in the bond markets? Well, the Fed, or not the Fed, the U.S. Treasury, um, they keep borrowing money. So they're issuing more treasuries every day. They're supplying all kinds of bonds out there for people to buy. There's not enough demand for all of these bonds, so we're seeing uh, a suppression in prices and a uh, upward pressure, or an upward pressure, I should say, on bond yields. Um, but right now, not really having a major impact on uh, the price of gold. Now, I honestly think interest rates are going to go down too, but not for the same reason as the mainstream people. I think they're going to be cutting uh, in the near future because the economy is crashing and or there is a major financial crisis. But regardless, the net effect is the same, right? Interest rates cut. That means we're getting more inflation. And um, when I say in the near future, I'm not predicting, you know, like the next six months. I've said this before. I kind of think the economic crash is a little further down the road than maybe some people think. And this is just going back and looking at the trajectory, the way things played out 2006, 2007, 2008. I kind of feel like right now we're in you know mid to late 2007. Um, so we still have a little ways to go. There's a lag between monetary policy and the impacts on the economy. So that's my gut. But on the other hand, we have a lot more debt now than we did then. We have a lot more malinvestments in the economy now than we did then. And so we could see the crash come quicker in the cycle than we did back in 2007, 2008. That remains to be seen. But I'm still absolutely convinced that we are going to see something big break in the economy or the financial system. We're going to have a, a deep recession, and I think that's what's going to spur the rate cuts, not some victory over inflation, right? So anyway, we saw a big run-up in the price of gold on uh, Sunday night, and, and of course that was primarily in, in overseas trading. And then we saw a rapid sell-off on Monday. Gold dropped over $100 off of that record high. It went as low as about $2020. Um, but the fact that it held $2,000 should not be overlooked. In fact, I think that's probably the real story here. I mean, it's cool to say, oh, gold set a new record. But I think the real important, significant things as we look as we look ahead is the fact that we held that $2,000 support level even as we had the big sell-off in gold. Um, and, and the sell-off's really not a surprise. I mean, some people are acting like that's really bullish or, or really bearish, um, that we hit a record and then it just rapidly sold off. And they're saying, oh, it was, you know, a, a, a big top blow-off and, and that's it. The bull market or the bull runs over. I don't think so. Um, I think this is kind of the beginning. And, and we've just set kind of a new level of support. Um, 
you know, with the rapid rise, you should have expected a correction. There's always going to be profit taking when you, when you see a big run up in anything. There are a lot of speculators out there in the markets who are playing these short-term moves. So they're looking for these big moves up or these big news moves down so they can buy and sell and pl- and play those um, those short-term movements in the market. And of course, I've said this before, I'm more of a macro long-term guy. I'm looking at the, the bigger picture. I'm looking at the trajectory of the economy as we move down the road. I'm trying to put some of these market moves into a broader financial context or a broader economic context. Um, Rather than just talking about you know trading, I'm I'm not you're you I'm not somebody you probably want to listen to if you're trying to you know buy gold and then six weeks later sell it and make make a profit and you can certainly do that. That's just not that's not my area of expertise, right? Anyway, um, I'm getting a little off track here. Um, again, I think the big news wasn't so much the record, although I do think that's a bullish sign. The big news is $2,000 an ounce went from being a major point of resistance to being the support level. So that means traders are going to set their buy levels around $2,000 an ounce. You know, maybe they were at 1900 or 1950 before. So when gold would drop down to those levels, the buyers would step in and, and, and kind of halt the, the run down. I think that is going to happen at $2,000 an ounce now. That's where people are going to set their buy levels. So when we get the dips, the price probably won't drop much below $2,000 an ounce. In other words, when you get down around $2,000 or below, that's the buying opportunity. And I also think a lot of people who were prone to sell below $2,000 an ounce um, are going to raise that bid. So we'll see more buyers at $2,000, fewer sellers, thus that's why we call it a support level, right? And then the resistance will now be up around the new record. And and think about this for a minute. We've seen the price of gold gradually building tremendous support over the last several months, right? We've been been making these runs at $2,000 over the last several months. Despite relentless Fed rate hikes, despite the constant hawkish tough talk from Jerome Powell and his minions, you know, claiming they're going to do whatever it takes to beat price inflation, We've really held $1,900 an ounce other than a a short dip a couple of months ago. So if gold held strong between $1,900 and $2,000 when the Fed was hiking rates, imagine where it can go now that it stopped hiking and is about to cut, especially when the markets come to terms with the reality that inflation is not dead. And believe me, inflation is not dead. Now, I think it might be a while before we start seeing a return to the increasing prices, uh, the hot inflation that we saw back uh, in in 2022. I think we're we're a ways off from from that. But keep in mind, what we're talking about here is the Fed pivoting, going looser, and creating more inflation. So, now a caveat: if there is some kind of major event in the markets that could send gold lower if Powell and company start jawboning about rate hikes at the next meeting that might push gold back down uh, you know if, if if the Fed officials get really aggressive and saying hey we're not cutting uh, maybe that will push gold back below that support level so there are some things that can happen I'm not saying that you know it's impossible that we'll we'll never see gold below two thousand dollars again I'm not saying that at all I'm just saying that that's a new strong level of support and I think that 
the likelihood is that the moves are going to be upward from there. Um, I, I, you know, people just don't seem to believe Powell when he says that rates are going to stay higher for longer. They believe in the cuts. And what they believe right now is what's driving the markets. And let's be real here. The Fed almost always delivers what the markets expect, right? They'll do their open mouth operations. They'll try to talk the markets up or down. But at the end of the day, the Fed is pretty darn predictable, right? When you start hearing, yeah, they're going to cut rates uh, by... 25 basis points, that's usually what happens, right? When we heard that they were going to have a 50 basis point rate hike, that usually is what happened. Uh, When we heard that, oh, they're not going to do anything, that's usually what happened. The Fed is a predictable beast. So, I guess the bottom line to kind of sum up here is don't focus on the sell-off after the record. Focus on the fact, first, that we set a record, and then second, and maybe more significantly, that we've established a new support level. Um. And now that I've said all this, gold will probably drop below $2,000 an ounce on Friday. Uh, we do have the uh, unemployment data that's supposed to come out uh, on Friday. And, you know, the, the unemployment data has certainly been a big driver in the markets, at least for a couple of days. And if we were to get uh, much stronger than expected jobs data, uh, that could push gold below that support, at least for a minute. Um I don't really expect that we're going to get that. All of the indications that we've seen is that we're going to see a pretty soft uh, employment picture. But there are things out there, right? I'm I'm not saying anything set in stone. I'm I'm trying to look at the trends and kind of look at where things are going. And where things are going is the Fed is about to start creating more inflation. The markets are anticipating the Fed creating more inflation. And that's bullish for gold. Also, while we're on the subject uh, subject of gold, globally, central banks added an, uh, another 42 tons net of gold to their reserves in October. Um, so another solid month in gold buying. The summer of central bank gold buying is now uh, turned into the fall of central bank gold buying. Uh, China continues to be the biggest gold purchaser. I think that's significant if you're you know thinking in terms of geopolitics and and um, uh, you know global economics. The People's Bank of China added another 23 tons of gold to its hoard in October um, and expanded its official reserves for the 12th straight month. Other big buyers in October were Turkey, Poland, India, and the Czech Republic. Uh, There were a couple of others. We had some selling from Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, which is not unusual. Um, I'll link to an article in the show notes page that goes into more detail about the uh, central bank gold buying uh, in October and puts it into a little bit of context. And you can check that out if that's a thing that interests you. Okay, my friends, here's a question for you. Actually, two questions for you. Are greedy corporations driving price inflation? That's number one. Number two, could taxing billionaires solve the federal government's fiscal problems? Now, according to President Joe Biden, the answer to both of those questions is yes. And the correct answer is no. So, Biden is either economically ignorant, or he's a liar, or maybe he's a little bit of both. You know, I'm not completely certain that Joe Biden even knows where he is most of the time. So we should probably take anything that he says with a grain of salt, because 
it's probably not him saying it, right? These are his uh, his press people and his social media people and his minions and his speechwriters. I don't think this dude is thinking for himself at all. This at all, and you know, honestly, sometimes I actually feel a little bit sorry for him because he's clearly dealing with cognitive issues and he shouldn't be president. But that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, and I am getting a little bit off of the of the point of this. But regardless, this is the words that came out of Biden's mouth and the messaging that came out of Biden's social media. So, you know, ostensibly he's the president, so therefore we have to attribute these words to him. But, you know, whether it's Joe Biden himself or or his uh his handlers, again, they're either economically ignorant or they're lying. And um I go back and forth on this, right? Sometimes I think these people have to be lying, right? They can't be this stupid. But then I've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of politicians over the years, and a lot of them, honest to goodness, are that stupid. I mean, I've said this before. I used to think that politicians knew a lot. You know, that's how they got their jobs, right? They got elected because they know a lot about a lot of stuff. Most politicians don't know a lot about a lot of stuff. The fact of the matter is most of them don't know a lot about anything other than, you know, whatever field they were in. A lot of them are are lawyers, so they know a lot of law. Uh, But most of them don't know anything at all about economics. I mean, they're getting their economic information from the same place that, you know, Joe Blow on the street's getting. Uh, And... So a lot of it's bad information. So sometimes I think they're just dumb, and and sometimes I think there there's some lying going on. When it's the some of these uh, real economists like Paul Krugman, I think he lies a lot because he's a political hack. Um, but regardless, we've got some untruths out there, and we need to address those untruths. Um, and, and so we're going to do that by looking at these comments. So let's start with his pontification about inflation. So Joe Biden made this first comment in a speech during the launch of a new White House supply chain initiative. And as soon as I saw White House supply chain initiative, um, I had a panic attack because that means they're going to jack up the supply chains because, you know, government messes up everything it touches. But anyway, the comment had to do with price inflation. He said, quote, any corporation that has not brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, even as the supply chains have been rebuilt, it's time to stop the price gouging. Give the American consumer a break. Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe. So, The general public eats this stuff up, right? Blaming greedy corporations for rising prices plays to the president's base. No doubt about it. But the truth is, corporations don't create price inflation, right? One simply has to reason through this claim to realize how absurd it is. If corporations can just willy-nilly raise prices and enjoy excessive profits, why don't they do it all the time? I mean, did corporations suddenly just get greedy in 2021? Like, they weren't greedy before that, but then 2021 came and we had inflation, so we've got price gouging, so I guess corporations just got greedy. And here's another question. Why did the Federal Reserve spend a decade fretting about inflation being too low as it struggled to hit that 2% inflation target? I mean, was there not enough corporate greed before then? But see, 
government people like Joe Biden can get away with this kind of narrative because they have redefined inflation. And I I alluded to this at the beginning of the show. So historically, economists defined inflation as an increase in the amount of money and credit, or to put it simply, an expansion in the money supply. And then over the years, the government, along with its apologists in corporate media and academia, they've altered that definition of uh, inflation to suit government purposes. So basically, if you hear the word inflation today, it just means rising prices, right? We've got a lot of inflation. That means we've got rising prices. But of course, rising prices in and of themselves aren't inflation. Prices can go up for all kinds of reasons, right? So like we might have higher demand or we we might have supply shortages. So, you know, when the demand for oil goes up, the price of oil goes up. That's not inflation. That's a supply or a demand price shock that's influencing those prices. Rising prices aren't inflation, but they are a symptom of monetary inflation, right? Monetary inflation is when the government increases the money supplies. And when I say government, I mean along with central banks. When this happens, you have more dollars, or whatever currency it is, but for our case, we'll say dollars. So you get more dollars being pumped into the system, basically the same amount of goods and services. So all prices are going to rise because there's more dollars chasing those same goods and services. This is basic inflationary economics, right? So price inflation is when we have the total price level, all price levels rise more than they would have otherwise because of an increase in the money supply. Economist Ludwig von Mises explained the problem with this change in definitions, and I'm going to read this. It's somewhat of a lengthy quote, but I think it really sums up what the government has done. He wrote, people today use the term inflation to refer to the phenomenon that is an inevitable consequence of inflation, that is the tendency of all prices and wages to rise. The result of this deplorable confusion is that there is no term left to signify the cause of the rise in prices and wages. There is no longer any word available to signify the phenomenon that has up to now been called inflation. As you cannot talk about something that has no name, you can't fight it. Those who pretend to fight inflation are in fact only fighting what is the inevitable consequence of inflation, rising prices. Their ventures are doomed to failure because they do not attack the root of the evil. They try to keep prices low while firmly committed to a policy of increasing the quantity of money that must necessarily make them soar. As long as this terminological confusion is not entirely wiped out, there cannot be any question of stopping inflation. So you can see what this confusion has caused. If we use the traditional definition of inflation as an expansion of the money supply, The culprit becomes clear, right? Who expands the money supply? It's the Federal Reserve and the federal government. So if you accurately define inflation, you know exactly who's to blame. But if the government can fool people into believing that the effect of inflation is inflation, well, then they can blame it on everybody but themselves. And Biden played that perfectly. I mean, this is great politics, but it's horrible economics, Right? It's great politics because everybody hates greedy corporations. So they're all, yeah, these these greedy corporations. Biden's right. Yeah, go get them. Because they don't understand. Because we've been intentionally made ignorant by the powers that be. That 
is not a mistake. I don't believe that's a mistake for a minute. This is intentional because it benefits the government. So, this comment gets even dumber when you dig a little bit deeper into it because Biden implies that inflation going down means that companies should lower their prices, right? That's exactly what he said. He said, if if companies aren't lowering their prices as inflation is lowering, well, they're just being greedy price gougers. That's not how this works, right? To quote the commercial, that's not how any of this works. When we say inflation is cooling, and it is, we just mean that based on the CPI, prices aren't rising as fast as they were earlier this year. But prices are still rising. Now, granted, the CPI in October was flat, so technically we didn't get any change in prices for that one month. But prices didn't go down in that month either, right? So why should corporations cut prices? They're still paying much more to produce goods and services than they were last year. Biden makes it sound like inflation's going down, so prices are going down, so greedy corporations should lower their prices. No, their costs are not going down. They're just not going up as fast as they used to be. So how much more are companies paying to produce goods and services? Well, since January 2022, prices have gone up 9.7% based on the CPI. And of course, as I say, every single show where I talk about the CPI, that formula is designed to understate rising prices. You know, they changed the formula back in the 1990s. If we were using the CPI formula today that they used back then, we'd see CPI that's double what it is today. So even with the wonky government number, we're still paying 10% more today, rounding up, than we were last year. So to sum it all up, prices have gone up by 10% in less than a year based on questionable government numbers. And they're still going up today, just not quite as fast. But here we have Biden finger-pointing at corporations. Meanwhile, his administration is borrowing and spending like a drunken sailor, which, by the way, happens to be inflationary. And this brings us to Biden's second really ignorant statement. Basically, he said that we should tax billionaires more. Shocking, right? A Democrat thinks we should uh, tax billionaires more. So, this is what uh, what old Joe said. He said a billionaire minimum tax of just 25% would raise $440 billion over the next 10 years. Imagine what we could do if we just made billionaires pay their taxes like everyone else. Now, you and I both know this is typical left-wing class warfare stuff. I don't even want to get into the value of billionaires to the society because They do provide a lot of value to the society, but let's just take it at face value. Let's pretend billionaires are evil parasites, and let's just look at the math. This tax that Biden is talking about would raise $440 billion over 10 years. Sounds like a lot of money, right? And it is to normal people, but in government accounting, it's basically like pennies. So here's some perspective. The U.S. government spends about $500 billion every single month, a half a trillion dollars. That was the average. If you look back at the Treasury statements last year, half a trillion dollars every single month is what the government is spending. That means the amount of money that Uncle Sam could collect with this proposed tax over 10 years wouldn't fund the government for one single month. Or 
Let's look at it another way. The U.S. government paid $879 billion in interest expense during fiscal 2023. That means that this $440 billion windfall that Biden is talking about, that it would take 10 years to collect, would only pay half of the government's interest expense for one single year. So, Obviously, taxing billionaires isn't the panacea that they make it sound like. Out of curiosity, I did a little bit of digging. It turns out that there are 740 American billionaires currently, and they have a collective net worth of $5 trillion. I think that was as of September. Now, keep in mind, it's not like these people have $5 trillion in cash sitting in a vault somewhere. You know, we like to think about the, the billionaire with his, with his monocle and his top hat, and he's in his vault rolling in his, in his money. That's not happening. Uh, most of this wealth is actually in stocks, real estate, and other assets. And a, one bad week in the stock market could drastically lower that total collective net worth very, very quickly, right? Um, if you had a 10% decline in the stock market, that would take a huge chunk out of these billionaires' wealth. It's, we're talking about wealth here, not income, right? So they don't have $5 trillion laying around, but let's pretend like they have that much money in cash. And let's say the government took all of it, every single penny. We take all $5 trillion for every billionaire. The billionaires are all in poverty now. Uh, they're street people, and uh, everybody in the Democratic Party is happy. It would not fund the government for even a single year. So again, looking at the numbers, last year, the Biden administration blew through 646 or not, I'm sorry, let me back up. The Biden administration blew through $6.46 trillion. Now, you don't have to have a PhD in math to realize that $6.46 trillion is bigger than $5 trillion. So, the billionaires are supposed to be the problem. We can take all of their money, not going to fund the government for even one year. And again, this $440 billion that we're talking about is over a 10-year period. Taxing millionaires is not going to solve your problems, right? They, they love to make billionaires as scapegoats. You know, they, they act like if we just tax these people more, the government could do whatever it wanted. I mean, we could solve world hunger. They could give every kid a unicorn, lollipops, and cotton candy all around for everybody. Just tax the billionaires. And every single program that's proposed, right? Every time the government wants to spend money. Well, we'll just raise taxes on the billionaires. Ugh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not a thing. So just do the math, right? So it's just not true. Here's the truth. The government spends too much money. The government borrows too much money. The, cre the, the Federal Reserve creates a lot of inflation to do it. And you pay the inflation tax every time you go to the grocery store or the gas station. Remember, every penny that the government spends is paid for by the average people, whether through direct taxation or the inflation tax. The government is stealing your wealth every single day. So here's the truth. Despite what Joe Biden wants to tell you, literally none of your problems are because of billionaires. Your biggest problem is politicians like Joe Biden and all of the other government people. They're playing you. Now, sadly, we don't have a lot of control over politicians. Yeah, we can vote the bums out. But, you know, every time we vote the bums out, we end up with new bums. 
We do have the ability, though, to mitigate some of the damage they do to our lives. We can mitigate the damage they do to our money by inflationary policies, by holding at least some of our wealth in gold and silver and hard assets. So today is a good time to call a shift gold precious metal specialist. Um, as I'm preparing this podcast on Thursday, uh, gold is somewhere in the $2,020 range, so well below that record, um, close to that $2,000 support level. I think it's a good time to buy. I don't think you're going to have a lot of opportunities to go below $2,000 now. So now you might, you might have some, but then again, you may never see $2,000 again. So, Give the folks at Shift Gold a call today. It's 1-888-GOLD-160 or email info at shiftgold.com or go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started tab and just chat right there online. Um, again, I've say, I say this every week. These guys are fantastic. They're very knowledgeable. They're friendly. They're good, they're good people. And they're going to look at your situation and they're going to help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your uh, investment strategy and into your portfolio. So do that today. And with that, it's a gold wrap for the week. And of course, you can get more details on all of the things that I've talked about and more keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the Shift Gold YouTube channel, other podcasting platforms. Links to all of that stuff is over on the show notes page. You can also email me at mmaharry, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. I hope you have a really, really good weekend. And I'll be back to talk to you again next week.